need to retrieve all the stuff you should have remembered but you forgot because you were at the beach instead of doing that big packet of homework that was sent home. I know nothing about this. Um, so we're looking at things that are elemental to the Christian life. A few weeks ago, Pastor Lars preached about the importance of scripture. Last week I taught on prayer, and this week we're looking at worship. So our text, as it has been, will be from the book of Acts. And we'll begin together in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 32. One day as we, and, and Luke, the author, says we because he's on the journey with them at this point. It's Luke and Paul and Silas and Timothy. One day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, these Jews, <laughs> they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in and attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in an innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened wide, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open wide, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he had supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But, but Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. So maybe you noticed this story has everything. Exorcism, attack by a mob, beatings, an earthquake, a decision for Christ, and a whole household saved. There is a lot to talk about in these verses, and I even cut it short. There's like more before and more after. If you want to know more about Paul's mission in Philippi, you know you could join the uh, Bible study on Philippians starting October 16th. <laughs> we read this passage. So, but I'm, I'm not going to teach on the whole passage. I'm actually going to teach on one verse, and it's verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, 
and the prisoners were listening to them. So let's think about this together. Paul and Silas are imprisoned because they have disrupted the status quo. They have messed up the local economy. They have been stripped and beaten. And now Paul and Silas, who are both Roman citizens, so this is illegal what's happening to them, they have been unlawfully imprisoned with their feet in stocks. Maybe you didn't think very much this morning about what that means to have your feet in stocks. Here's a picture. This is actually after they are rescued. But you see, they can't get up. They have to stay sitting down. So just think with me a quick minute. These days our jail cells have toilets. That's all I'm going to say. Their skin is broken. They're bleeding. They can't really move. But here they are praying and singing hymns, bloodied, messed up. It's an inner cell, so it's probably dark. That means there's no windows. It, it stinks, I'll be honest. They're in pain. And also, they didn't feed people in first century prisons. So this is literally what we would define as torture. But here they are, like Paul singing. The soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storms. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, and everyone is listening to him, and they pray, and, and they sing hymns, and it is literally shaken by God who sends an earthquake to break the chain for those who have trusted in Jesus. I mean, there's, there's miracles throughout this story, but, but look at this. It is through the worship and prayer of Paul and Silas that God shows up in a mighty way because worship is elemental in our walk with Jesus. Following Jesus means we hear God in scripture. It means that we pray to God through Jesus because our God is one who hears and who speaks. And it also means that we worship this God. So we're going to look at several questions today. And actually look at three big questions that will help us understand worship better. So the first question is, what is worship? What am I talking about when I say the word worship? That's the first question. The second question is, well, why do we worship? Why is this important? And then the third question is, how is God inviting each of us to grow deeper in this elemental practice? So let's begin. What is worship? Well, actually, there's at least three ways to define it. So, sorry. Um, but first of all, for worship, for Christians, worship is all of life. We read in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So what this means is that everything we do, if it's done for the glory of God, can be an act of worship. Everything. Our whole lives can be an act of worship. So I, this is my favorite example of how everything can be an act of worship. Some of you are parents with younger children who are not yet potty trained, and some have been. Changing a baby's diaper can be worship. This is why. You're showing 
the care and love of God the Father to a helpless, if they're young especially, infant, right? You are remembering that this infant boy or girl is made in the image of God. You are showing love and care for them. This can be done as an act of worship pleasing to God. Now, I know all of us aren't in that chapter in our life, and we're like, praise God, I'm not there anymore, <laughs> right? But actually, everything that we, can, we do can be an act of worship to God. So, so when you wait to send that angry email or text, and you take a step back, worship. When you remember, when you're working, especially for those of us who spend a lot of time working on the computer, right? When you remember to do your work well to the glory of God, and you use that technology for the best purposes and not the basest purposes, you know what I'm talking about, that is worship. That's worship. Students, when you do your homework as well as you can to the glory of God, that's worship. When you go to soccer practice and try your best and are a good teammate, that's worship. When you're driving down 55th and there is a lot of construction, you breathe and praise God. That can be worship. When you cook dinner or fold the laundry or interact with the waitress or the cashier or your employee or your boss, that can all be worship, all of it. And I'm sad because this is actually not the main focus I'm having today, and obviously I could talk about it a long time. If you have questions about how your life can be worship, please come talk to me. So first definition, worship is all of life, but I'm actually going to be focusing on the second and third definition today. So the second definition of worship is as our weekly gathering of believers just right now, right? Some people might say, are you going to worship today? What they mean are, is, are, are you going to the church building, Hinsdale Covenant Church on the corner of 4th and Garfield? Are you going to be in worship, right? It's a gathering of believers. And in this, we have a lot of elements. We have the call to worship. We have announcements, prayers, songs, a message, communion. All of that is worship. Second definition, the gathered body of believers. Third definition. This is even more specific. So if someone says, worship was great this morning, they don't mean the announcements. I know. They mean the band. They mean the musical worship was good, right? So we also talk about worship in, in thinking about uh, the, the songs of praise and adoration to God, our Father. That's worship too. And so today when I talk about worship, I am talking about definition number two and definition number three. Worship, the gathering of believers in which we sing songs of praise and adoration to God. First point is done. Second big point, why do we worship? Why is this important? Well, first of all, I, I believe, and I, scripture teaches this, that human beings were created to worship. We are worship machines. Human beings will worship someone or something. Even if someone says they're an atheist, they are still worshiping someone or something in their life. But we were created. We were created to worship God. We see this throughout scripture, but I want to look at Isaiah 43 in several places. We read, everyone who is called by my name, God is speaking here, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God made us for his glory. And then again, my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. God made us to worship him. That's our primary purpose and function. 
Because we're worshiping machines, though, when we don't worship God in Christ, we direct that worship to other things. It's natural, right? It could be a God in another religion. It could be an ideology. It could be, and, and I see this right now in American politics in both extremes, it could be a human savior or party in which people's religious fervor is given up to this human savior, right? And it's not just me who are saying this. Sociologists have been writing about this for the last few years, that as American culture has grown less formally religious, political fervor and fanaticism has risen on the right and the left. Because we all know we need to be saved. That's a given. We need to be saved, right? Maybe it's saved from a bad economy or from inflation or from the powerful who will oppress us or others who are weak or saved from those who will put limits on individual freedom and autonomy or saved from crime or COVID or bad drivers. We need a savior. And we do. We need a savior because we're worshiping machines. But my friend, if our worship is not tuned toward our creator God, a little turn here and a little turn there will turn our hearts to the praise and glorification of false saviors. But these saviors will not take us back to, to Eden. They will not make our garden grow. I mean, like the Garden of Eden. I'm not talking about your backyard garden. They won't solve all our problems. Every single human being will disappoint us. That's why we read in Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. That means they die. <laughs> On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord their God. The Christian theologian John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The reason we make our own idols is because we were created to worship. So I encourage you, friends, worship God. Worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't worship what someone else made up or a human being who is going to fail. Worship God. We were created to worship him. That's the first reason we, we worship. Second, we worship because we have been delivered. The first time singing is mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. That's true. There's a whole book and half of one book before singing is mentioned. And singing is mentioned after God's people, the Israelites, are delivered miraculously from their oppressor, Egypt, who is making them be slaves for 400 years. And after they escape, after God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land, and then the Egyptian army is there and the sea goes back and they drown and they are rescued from their oppressors, Moses and the Israelites sing a song to the Lord. Maybe you've heard this verse. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And then there's a whole chapter of a song of praise that Moses and the Israelites sang. It's about what God has done, and it compares God to the other gods, the not real gods, and it ends with saying, the Lord will reign forever and ever. 
And still, we as Christians celebrate deliverance by the hand of God. As Christians, we celebrate deliverance through Jesus, through whose death sin and evil was defeated, and through whose resurrection death was defeated. And the power of the evil one has ended. We, like our faith ancestors, can celebrate and worship because we have been delivered and we will be delivered. We, we say it every Sunday when, in, in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us. So let's go back to Paul and Silas in that prison for a minute. They're in stocks, right? But Paul is the man who wrote, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul and Silas know that God has delivered and he will deliver them. And the truth is, is that even if they're killed in prison, even if they die from an infection that they get from the beatings, right? Paul is so sure of Christ's deliverance that he is able to write that dying is gain because he knows that he doesn't need to fear death because in death he will be present with the Lord. So these two wounded men sing in their mess, in the stocks, in the dark prison, and everyone is listening to them. Imagine the hope that might, might give you if you were imprisoned with them. We worship because we have been delivered, and we will be delivered. So finally, worship prepares us to experience God in the worst places and in the best places. Okay, so let's think about Paul and Silas some more, right? Probably the worst place than most of us have ever been in in their situation. Maybe there's exceptions, but I think for most of us, this is really bad compared to our lives. Um, but there, Paul starts singing. And this is how he is able to worship in the worst place. Paul and Silas have strong worship muscles, and their worship muscles are strong because they've practiced worshiping. They know the songs. They know the heart posture. They, they know how to get there emotionally. They have practiced in the synagogue. They have practiced in the house churches. Song and worship to God is in their heart. It's like they have smuggled the weapon of worship into this Philippian prison. Because worship forms us. It prepares us to experience God in the worst places. And I don't just mean physically, right? I mean emotionally, too. In, in the worst places and in the best places. When you sing the songs, when you're physically present, when you're physically engaged, that is forming your whole self to remember, to literally put together the sense of the glory of God and hope that goes along with a celebration of what God has done and what God will do. We could say that worship prepares us for the apocalyptic. You know those apocalyptic Hollywood movies, like giant weather events and snakes on a plane, that's old, but... You know, these, these, real, these apocalyptic, horrible events, right? But in our lives, we all have apocalyptic events, right? These real-life ones, maybe a, a cancer diagnosis or the sudden death of a loved one, a, a sudden illness that no one expected, unforeseen violence, a war. And when we have practiced worship, we can respond to God with worship in the event. Now, I am not saying you say, like, thank you, God, for this horrible thing. I'm not saying that you need to say that. 
you can still turn in that apocalyptic event and worship God, praising God for who he is and how he's delivered us. But I, I want to share something. That, tr- that definition of, of apocalypse, like a big, horrible thing, right? That's actually not the biblical definition. A biblical definition of apocalypse means revealing. It's something, it's showing. I imagine these curtains being drawn, and then you can see. And so there is a revealing in Scripture of the future. We have a revealing in Scripture of the best day in our lives that the worship team kind of led us in part of that during our offertory. There's this revealing of worship in God's final kingdom. In the book of Revelation, John writes, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude of human beings worshiping. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, salvation, that means deliverance. Deliverance belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. There will be a day where there will be a multitude of human beings worshiping Jesus, and this will be the glo- a glorious day, will be a glorious day. Worship prepares us for the worst day and the best day. So I encourage you, let us work on our worship muscle. Let's not be lazy. Let's be ready to worship. That's why we worship. So how can we develop this practice? How might the Holy Spirit be inviting each of us to grow in this vital part of the Christian life? So I'm hoping that that the Spirit will draw each of us at least to one practice that I'm going to recommend. So the first recommendation is to worship weekly. Now, pastors all around the United States and the world are talking about this. COVID and habits developed during it wounded an already down practice of people gathering weekly to worship God. Now, I do want to say, Sunday worship does not make you a Christian. However, Sunday worship is what Christians do. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. New Testament Christians began worshiping not on the Sabbath, but on Sunday, the day of resurrection, and we continue that tradition. But there is a sense that we need to stop, celebrate one day as holy, as set apart to the Lord. And that's part of our invitation every week. We see this in the New Testament as well, in Hebrews 10. 24 through 25, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I encourage you to join in person weekly for worship. I know some of us travel for work or go on vacation. Here's an idea. There are other churches I find as a believer when I'm traveling, going and visiting other churches can be deeply encouraging. Maybe it's because I don't have any baggage there. I don't know. But it can really encourage my heart. And actually, when you visit churches, you encourage them. Thanks, visitors. You're encouraging us today. Okay? So worship in person, weekly, as Scripture commands us to. Remember, practicing worship builds your worship muscle so you can worship in the hard times. Second suggestion 
try something new. Okay, and by this, I mean physically. So some of us might not sing when we gather. And maybe it's because some jerk one time told you to be quiet. Send them to talk to me. That was not right. All of us can worship in singing, even if you feel like you don't sing great. You don't have to lead the band. They have good voices. But just try singing if you never have. And then never tell anyone that they sound bad, right? We won't do that. We're too kind, I know. You know, one of my favorite opportunities to worship is when I stand next to one of my uncles, and he has this big, boisterous voice, and he really, he can't sing. But he sings with such joy and enthusiasm. It's a great blessing, okay? So maybe you'll bless someone. Okay, so try something new. Try singing. Maybe you do sing. Maybe Maybe you could join us holy rollers in the front and, like, raise an arm a little bit. It doesn't mean you're Pentecostal. It just shows, God, I'm open. And if, if you're like, this is too much, I'll just try a little bit. You can kind of work, work up to this, right? So just a little bit, because this shows a physical response. It shows the body given as a sacrifice to the Lord. Just a little bit. Maybe you feel distracted. It's hard to focus. You can actually close your eyes. That's an opportunity, too, especially when we sing a song over and over again that you know. And, and maybe if all these are too weird, you could smile because you've been delivered, <laughs> right? We can respond with our bodies in worship. So the second, second thing, try doing something new. Third, expand your worship diet. Okay, often when I bring up worship, what, peop what people want to tell me is their music preferences, like if they like the band or if they like the organ, right? Um, if they listen to Bach or if they listen to K-Love, let's go back to that jail with Paul and Silas. Just think about this. What if Paul is like, holy, 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 and Silas is like, I can't sing that song. It reminds me of my grandma's stodgy church. Okay? Do you know what I'm saying? All of us are invited to submit our preferences to the Lord because it's not about what we like. It is not about us. It is about God, our deliverer. Christianity and, and our faith has been translated into numerous cultures and numerous languages, linguistic and musical, throughout the world. We don't have it all. We can learn from other, whether it's historical or cultural throughout the world, we can learn from other Christians. Pastor Simon read from Psalm 150 that lists all these instruments, right? It's awesome. The organ, we might think of that as very old, but when it was invented, it was the most technologically advanced thing humanity had ever made. And it was made to lead us in worship. There are so many riches in human cultural worship. Don't let it be about what you like. Maybe you haven't experienced or learned from other traditions. So when you meet someone who might have a sort of different language than you, be curious, I mean musical language, right? Be curious about it, right? J.S. Bach wrote everything to the glory of God. His music is phenomenal. There's an American form of worship music called shape note or sacred heart music. It's all sung, just voices. It rocked my world. It's amazing. You can, you can look at it. There's a lot of videos on YouTube, shape note. Right? Sometimes I go retro. I listen to Rich Mullins or Phil Keggy or Keith Green. There are modern hymn writers like Keith and Kristen Getty. Wonderful. And then there's the classics, John and Charles Wesley, Isaac Watts, 
that demonstrate the riches of our Protestant heritage. I want all of you to be worship omnivores. I want you to eat it all, right? Not be picky like a child, but celebrate the riches of music that God has given our world. Do not let the idol of your preferences keep you from the depths of worshiping God. Christians gather and worship God in all ways. They don't worship like we do in Chopra. Our friends hopefully will tell us some about it, right? So worship weekly. Try doing something new physically. Expand your worship diet. What wonderful ways God has given us to glorify him. It is not monotonous. It is a gift. The spirit empowers us and gives us a desire to worship, and then we respond with our whole selves and our whole lives. So I invite you to meditate on which one of these God might be calling you to. Be ready, my friends. Exercise your worship muscles. Be ready to worship on the worst day of your life. And together we will be ready to worship on the best day of our lives, the day that Jesus sits down on the throne and we say, Jesus, you're our king. You're our king. We're going to continue in worship in, in communion, fellowshipping together in just a moment, but let me pray first. Jesus, you have delivered us from sin and death, from the evil one. And I, I do pray for those who might be here today who might say, I, I don't actually know if I've been delivered. I don't know what that means. I, I pray for those hearts that might be asking that question. May your spirit unify us today, not because we have the same preferences, but because we worship the same God in Christ. Bless our communion and bless this teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.